there's this built in to our Catholicism, this built in need, this built in requirement and foundation for community, that we need each other. You cannot do this faith thing on your own. So my wife's birthday is coming up. So I decided I'd do something fancy. I'd hire a limo. So I go, I pay for this limo. I see it's non-refundable service, but I know like, all right, we're going to be spending this day together. And then I get this call after I'd booked this uh, and left my number as part of the registration. They call me and say, you know, your registration, we just want you to know it doesn't include a driver. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? It doesn't include a driver. They're like, yeah, we can drop the limo off, but but you didn't pay for the driving fee. So you're just going to have to drive it on your own. I was like, I'm not, I didn't get, I didn't do this to drive a limo, you know? So it's not refundable. I'm like a few hundred dollars in the hole. I have this limo and nothing to show for it. Yeah, that's a good one. You might have to rewind that and hear it again. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 107. So good to be back with you. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. But as always, a pre-Joy Junk and Jesus reminder to make sure you are following us on social media at Man of Food for Thought, that you have rate and reviewed this podcast, that you've shared it with someone who you think might benefit from it, and that you visited our website at manoffoodforthought.com where all of the blog content, previous episodes, our new Bible study episodes is all housed, and you can become a financial sponsor of this podcast for as little as $1 a month by clicking on the Patreon tab, and that helps keep this podcast going. So, Joy, junk, and Jesus, without further ado, my joy of this past week is uh, my friend and co-worker, uh, Katie, made these amazing bao buns. Um, I don't know if you know what these are, but they're like a, an Asian yeast um, kind of sweet treat kind of thing. They're these, you know, buns made of yeasty dough with a filling. Anyways, they're delicious, and she made them and gave me some, and I was very, very happy about that. Um, so that brought me a lot of joy. Uh, my junk this week is that they're recarpeting my office and not only my office, but everything in the entire building that my office is in. And so I've had to like grab all my, I have to clean out my whole office, grab all the things that I think I would need over the next week. And I'm moving from like work area to work area. I'm currently to record this in a tiny little classroom, uh, with no lights on and trying uh, not to alert anyone that I'm here so no one interrupts the recording. So um, hopefully that works out. But it's just kind of a bummer not being in my, like, you know, familiar space, having everything I need. But it's all good. It's going to be nice and recarpeted. So that would be really cool. My Jesus moment is uh, probably Bible study last night. Having Bible study last night, there were a lot of new faces uh, and just really seeing really great community develop. Um, And it's just been really inspiring to me, and it serves as the inspiration for this episode, because this episode, I want to talk about how to create and have good community as a Catholic, as a Christian. It's so hard in our world. We live in such an individualistic society. A lot of our friendships tend to be very vapid, surface level, or they're only based on similarities or things that we're, you know, remotely interested in uh, that overlap with one other person. Like, we're friends because we both went to school together, because we both like hiking or we're on the same sports team. But like authentic, virtuous friendship is something that's very hard to develop and very rare to come by. And so how do you have that? How do you find that? How do you cultivate it? 
I want to start, first of all, by like showing the biblical and theological basis for this, because in a lot of American Christianity, because we live in a very Protestant country, it can become very individualized spiritually. It can be about like your journey with Jesus, your personal relationship with Jesus. And yes, those things are important, but there's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. I think I've said this before, but there's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. There is a such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus, but that is only your unique experience and expression of a communal reality, a communal relationship with a communal God who is a trinity, who is relationship itself. And so we cannot divorce ourselves from our relational identity, because we are made in the image and likeness of God. God is a relationship, a family unto himself, and so we are in the image and likeness of relationship, meaning that we will not find our fullest fulfillment, the fullest sense of who we are and who we were created to be on this earth if we are not in relationship and real good, fruitful relationship. In Scripture, there's this great passage about the, the body of Christ and how one, there's one body, but there are many parts. And, and as it elaborates, there's this longer passage that I want to read because I think this really speaks to some of the, the things I'm going to point out. So this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It starts in verse 12. It says, As a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free persons, and we were all given to drink of one spirit. Now the body is not a single part, but many. So if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, It does not, for this reason, belong any less to the body. Or if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it does not, not, for this reason, belong any less to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God placed the parts, each one of them, in the body as he intended. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I do not need you. Indeed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are all the more necessary. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we surround with greater honor. And our less presentable parts are treated with greater propriety, whereas our most presentable parts do not need this. But God has so constructed the body as to give greater honor to a part that is without it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts share its joy. So to break down that passage, essentially there's four things being said here. First of all, the general kind of thesis statement of this, that we are all one, and yet we have our individuality within that, and it contributes to the larger body. No matter who we are, no matter what our background, we have something to contribute. And then it gets into this comparison, basically saying, well, if I'm not like that, then I don't belong to the body. We sometimes get in this mentality like, okay, if I'm not like this typical Christian or I don't, um, you know, go to Mass in Latin or if I don't uh, pray the rosary every day or if I don't pray the liturgy of the hours or if I don't worship this way or if this isn't my spirituality, then I must not be Catholic. And that is a, that's almost anti-Catholicism. Catholic means universal. So no one can say to you, this is the way you are supposed to pray if you're Catholic. Like, no one can say that. That is, that's a, a breeding point for division. That is not what the church looks like. There are all these different rites and rituals and ways of saying Mass within the Catholic Church, 22 different rites of Catholicism. There's not just one way. And so when we get into the comparison game, we have to be careful that we're not um, giving ourselves this kind of uh, 
self-deprecating mentality that like, oh, I'm not like this way, so I don't belong. Okay, so that's kind of the second part. The third part has more has to do with that as well. It's the other end of that. It's just like, okay, um, I have everything I need. I don't need you. You know, I'm good on my own, or I know how to worship on my own. I don't need you. I don't need community. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. And this is basically saying that's that's completely antithetical to the gospel, to what Jesus came to preach, to create. And lastly is the last verse, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts share in its joy. And so we affect those around us. We affect them by our sin and also by the grace that we bring into our community, into our families. Um, This is highlighted in the Catechism, in a particular paragraph, my favorite paragraph of the Catechism, I think. Uh, Paragraph 166 says this, Faith is a personal act, the free response of the human person to the initiative of God who reveals himself. But... Faith is not an isolated act. No one can believe alone, just as no one can live alone. You have not given yourself faith as you have not given yourself life. The believer has received faith from others and should hand it on to others. Our love for Jesus and for our neighbor impels us to speak to others about our faith. Each believer is thus a link in the great chain of believers. I cannot believe without being carried by the faith of others. And by my faith, I help support others in the faith. This, brothers and sisters, this idea of this collective fellowship where we all share in some responsibility, we all bear responsibility for one another, where the apostles came and laid their possessions down at the feet, or the the Christians laid their possessions down at the feet of the apostles, and each person received according to their need. This was something in Scripture called koinonia in Greek. It's a word for community, but it was specifically the type of community that the church created. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about how the city of Rome changed over the the years once Christianity was introduced. That it was this very hedonistic place where people would neglect each other, neglect the poor, neglect the sick and the elderly. And when plagues would come in, it would even get more amplified. But then all of a sudden, when these disasters would happen, you would see the Christians staying and caring for people. And all of a sudden, these communities would develop, even in the worst of circumstances. Sometimes that was the best indicator of Christian community developing because there was such a need. And so there's this built in to our Catholicism, this built in need, this built in requirement and foundation for community, that we need each other. You cannot do this faith thing on your own. And you may be like I once was, where it's like, okay, that applies to everyone else, but I'm special. You know, I can do it on my own, or I know more than other people, or, um, you know, I don't want to admit some of the things that I struggle with. I don't want to seek accountability from anyone because I'm someone in leadership. I'm a minister. I've been in ministry for a long time. I should have this figured out by now. Those are things that I would say to myself, and sometimes I still say those to myself. A desire to not want to be vulnerable because then I risk being able to get hurt. But the truth is, I mean, Jesus is the prime example of that. He created community, and he allowed us to hurt him worse than anyone could hurt anyone ever. And yet, through that pain, through that hurt, through that vulnerability came his glory. And so even though it may be difficult, even though it may be messy and bumpy along the way, we need this community. And so how do you find that? How do you cultivate that? What are some things you should look out for? And I think the first thing is to think about the kind of community that you would want, spiritually, faith-wise, and go the places where those people would be. 
go to the places where those people would be. Parish events, ministries, diocesan things, um, you know, you're not going to find these people cruising bars on a Friday night, probably. You might. I mean, if people are doing good, good, you know, not that we don't have fun as Catholics, but you know what I mean. Like, there's a less likelihood that you're going to stumble across a really vibrant community of other Christians and faithful people if you're going places where that's common, not commonly the place where we frequent, you know? Um, so it's something to consider. Or when you go to places, anywhere you go, are you wearing your faith or your desire for a faithful community out loud enough in your conversation and the way you dress, the way that you act, to where that becomes more apparent? Okay? So maybe you don't have the opportunity to go to some of those environments where you are. Maybe it doesn't exist where you are, and you have to find it online. You have to find it you know, in some other means. You have to find other people who happen to be Christian, but maybe that community or those events or that environment doesn't exist yet. But try and think, like, you know, what constructive things— could you get involved in or do or places you could investigate, local churches, local community groups, um, volunteering locally, uh, you know, looking just even at other, um, you know, non-religious or non-Catholic uh, Christian groups or fellowships and just seeing how they do things and just getting a model for this, meeting people, um, but still staying anchored in your Catholic faith. All those are ways, but basically go those places have that vision in your head, find out how you can make that come into reality, and basically your goal is to find others who are focused on the same goal of sainthood. Find other people who are focused on the same goal of sainthood, and then invite them into community. You know, hey, do you want to grab a meal sometime? Would you want to come over for dinner? I was thinking about maybe starting a small men's group or a small women's group group at my home or at the park, or uh, I'm thinking of, you know, starting a Bible study, you know, or just reading the readings with some friends and discussing them each week and, you know, help each other find some kind of commentary or companion or some kind of guide or a leader, you know, whatever it may be. Um, or even just I'm thinking of attending this parish event or ministry. Would you like to come with me? And just beginning to create that and having conversations and, you know, allowing you to just do life together, you know, um, going on a hike and praying the rosary, going to a daily mass, going to confession together, going to chapel together, those things that are going to keep you oriented toward the same goal and doing things that are like going to the gym together, getting a meal, um, you know, um, going, grabbing a drink, having coffee, like things that aren't necessarily um, spiritual in nature, but you can bring that into the conversation. And I think the question always to be asking yourself when you're doing this is, are we being led closer to Jesus or are we being led just closer to each other while we happen to be doing Jesus-y things? And that is a very fine line. I've been a part of a lot of communities. I've seen a lot of communities grow and develop, some very slowly, some very quickly. And I've seen a lot of them fall because it's really, they're developing such close bonds with each other that when one thing changes or one person moves or one person leaves or there's one falling out or something like that happens, the entire group crumbles because it ended up being really about wanting things from each other, the sense of community, fellowship, relief from loneliness, whatever it might be, instead of anchoring that toward the goal of like, how are we encouraging each other to pursue Jesus, to pursue sainthood, to pursue holiness? And so... I think from the very beginning, you have to have a very clear idea of what's the goal here? Why am I looking for this community? Am I looking for a significant other? Probably not a good reason to create community because that can make it very complicated if that doesn't work out. Um, am I looking for just friends? Well, you can find a whole variety of friends, you know, and you want them to be wholesome, good people. But if you're looking for an authentic Christian community, 
um, that's of one of faith that's going to challenge you and convict you and build you up and support you and who you can challenge and who you have this freedom of vulnerability and accountability and intentionality and all of that, there needs to be intentionality from the beginning. What kind of friends am I looking for? What kind of friend am I desiring to be? Where would I find these people? How can we live towards sainthood? And how can, that, how can I perfect myself in such a way that it's perfecting those around me and vice versa? And so this has to do with the second thing, um, is that, so once you kind of find or set that foundation, you know places to look, you're inviting people in, starting and doing, starting to do things, have this general, I don't know, maybe it's a spoken rule or an unspoken rule, but that you are there to bring, bring each other up, to build each other up, and not drag each other down. And I know that's a very simple thing to say, but I say that because I've seen this happen so many times. When people get to know each other, they start becoming more comfortable, and certain patterns of behavior then start to emerge more easily. Things like inappropriate language, inappropriate jokes, um, inappropriate humor, inappropriate actions, you know, um, more frequency of drinking or partying or, you know, letting those kind of boundaries slip a bit because you know that person is messed up, I've messed up, we're not perfect, the mask is gone, so maybe we can just be messed up around each other or not judge each other because I know what they've done and if they judge me, I can judge them or whatever it is. But I have a friend who, you know, he uh, is a youth minister and I remember him talking about once he had these rules for his youth ministry. And one of the first rules, if not the first rule, was we build each other up here. And so if you're going to do something or say something that's not contributing to that mission, then there's something wrong with your, your presence here. Like, we need to correct that behavior. You're still welcome here, but you need to correct that behavior in order to stay. And I think we should have that kind of scrutinous mentality toward our community. Like, if you find that you know, you're creating like, you know, um, group chats or messages or you're, uh, you're hanging out and then all of a sudden the level of humor or conversation is getting less and less sophisticated or more and more crude because it's getting more and more comfortable. Recognize that's not the goal. And how do you call each other to something higher? Because like the passage, this is why I read that passage in First Corinthians chapter 12, and I pointed out that, that last verse, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one, if sin there's no such thing as a private sin, okay? Just like there's no such thing as a private relationship with God, there's no such thing as a private sin. You might commit a sin behind closed doors, but that sin affects your mentality, your spirituality, the way you interact with other people, the way you speak and think, and that has this ripple effect into all of our relationships. It inhibits our behavior, it distorts our desires, it causes us to desire more sin, and that comes out sometimes in our humor, in the inappropriate things we might say, do, or think, and that affects our community. And so I think it would be really great to just have a level of accountability with these people. Once you find them, uh, to be able to say, like, look, I think it would be great if we have an, some sense of accountability, maybe setting up some rules or a rule of life, kind of like monasteries do or some church communities do. What is the rule of life for our community? Well, we want to commit to daily prayer, uh, whether it's on our own or with each other. We want to commit to uh, weekly Mass, obviously, in the Eucharist. We want to commit to uh, a daily rosary or weekly rosary together. We want to commit to some kind of weekly event or meal or outing together, whatever it might be. Um, we want to commit to um, vulnerability and accountability with the things that we're struggling with. And so being able to share, like, what 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 are the good things going on in your life? Kind of like we do Joy, Junk, and Jesus at the beginning of this, but also what are your struggles? What, 
Do you have a habitual sin in your life? Like, how can we help each other be accountable and counsel one another? Um, you know, if you have a habitual addiction to pornography, to be able to confide that in your community and give them permission to check in on you, give them permission to maybe be your accountability partner using some kind of a software like Covenant Eyes or Clean Router or something like that, where your internet history gets sent to them uh, once a week. And they have permission to be like, all right, I'm going to take your phone or I get to lock your phone or change the password or change your ability to download new apps, you know, and password protect it. That like you've established all of this. And then I think also like a public or community, like public in your community sense, acts of repentance. That if you, if you see that you've done something to harm the group, that you have, um, I don't know, been entertaining inappropriate behavior, humor, bringing kind of the quality of the conversation of the group down or in a more crude direction. Or if you've done something, let's say you have a falling out with another person in the group or it kind of taints the group or, you know, um, I don't know, something like that. You and that other person or you on your own can come before the community and say, hey, look, like, we recognize that this, or I recognize that my behavior has affected all of you, and I want to publicly repent and apologize for that and ask for your forgiveness. And it just gives this sense of like, yeah, we're building each other up here. Like, I've said this many times before, but you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if, if one person starts downgrading, then the other people around them are going to have this sense of like, okay, well, I'm still kind of up here, you know, and so I'm still doing well. And then the the when we compromise and we get comfortable, that line just keeps going further and further and further down. It gets lower and lower in terms of that standard of goodness, that standard of holiness. But if you set a rule of life for yourself and your community, that is the standard. It cannot move. And everything is judged up against that. And so if we have an understanding that, like, this is how we're going to be as community, then we can challenge each other, call each other out, help keep each other accountable. We can check in and pray together when things aren't going well. But there is this public acknowledgement of sin of our responsibility to one another, um, you know, laying our needs, laying our positive things at the feet of one another and, and being able to build one another up, um, be the rock for other people when we need to be. Um, and, and, and I would just let that trickle into your ongoing accountability and checking in with one another, actually praying with one another, and not just in a like spiritual setting. You know, this is something that very commonly is done like at at ministries or at different events, but like, can you and your Christian community go out to dinner and at the end just say, hey, does anyone need prayers for anything? Or at, at the end of your meal, ask your, your waiter, your waitress, your server, hey, do you need prayers for anything? Can we pray for you as a community? And to do that right then and there. Or to go out to coffee with some of these people and say like, hey, how are you guys doing with this? Or I'm really struggling with this. Have you ever um, had this happen in your life? What, what, what's your story? How did you overcome it? Or what did you learn? Uh, I'm thinking about dating this person or entering this relationship. What do you think? Like bringing everything into this community, not so that you're relying on the people in the community, but you're letting the community be a conduit for you to encounter Jesus. And that's always where it's pointing to. Always where it's pointing to. So how do you create good and authentic community? I'd say look for it in the right places. Make sure it's oriented toward Jesus and not just toward each other, especially toward Jesus. Make sure that you have some kind of rule of life and accountability to one another and that you are accountable and repent, ask for forgiveness when you break that rule of life and that your spirituality, your faith becomes part of the everyday life of your community and it's not like you have to be some cloistered group that only does spiritual things. 
but rather everything that you do becomes spiritual because of the type of community that you're in. And so I don't know if that resonates with you, if you have people that maybe you're starting to recognize like, oh, my current group of friends is not doing this for me. Um, maybe you need to break off some friendships or, or at the very least, I would say that'd be a little extreme at this point. I mean, this has just been like a 20 minute podcast, but um, maybe it's just you need to spend less time with them or change the way in which you hang out or the type of things you talk about. Maybe you need to share more of your experience of faith. You know, when they ask you, how was your weekend? Be like, oh, I went to mass and the homily was about this. And it really got me thinking about my life in this way. Do you ever think about that? Or I was reading the Bible this past week and I came across this verse and it really just struck me that like, I've been really struggling with this. Have you ever struggled with that? And just bring it into the normal conversation. You don't have to be like, do you read the Bible? Do you go to mass? Do you want to come with me? But like, you can bring that into your friendships. Uh, you can transform them if they're turning down a negative path or they tend to be more, you know, banal or crude in their content or the types of things you do or say to each other. Um, but if this, if this is something that you're desiring, um, you know, to really consider where might I find this? And you might be very discouraged at the moment thinking like, I'm never going to find this. I'm never going to, you know, this, this type of community doesn't exist near me. There's not a church community by me. There's no young adults where I live. And I would just encourage you to pray for it because the Lord does answer prayers. I came from a very small town where all the young adults typically left after high school, commuted off this mountain because they had to go to college. And if they stayed, they were working so much that nobody had time to do anything. But I prayed and I was intentional and I created good community from the friends that I had and that community matured and we were able to be there for each other in ways that weren't as kind of immature and um, surface level as they were in high school. But also, I was able to find new friends slowly but surely um, friends that were kind of an extended part of my Catholic family from off the mountain, too, who I could check in with via email or text um, and have, you know, different, more vibrant relationships that way. Um, but it doesn't, it's not going to be this kind of perfect fantasized vision you might have where, like, I'm going to find all these people who live in my neighborhood or on my block. We're going to move into a house and we're going to live in a household together, almost like a Catholic a fraternity or sorority, but, you know, we're just going to have this rule of life and we're going to live together for years and it's going to be great and vibrant and beautiful. No, it might just be like you finding that that right message board or group on Facebook or online or on Reddit or wherever that people are building one another up or, you know, you find a Catholic Twitch stream or you uh, find, you know, a local community group and you find out a couple people are Christian and you get together just to, to pray and talk about the Bible, whatever it is, you know, um, or if you're really lucky, you have at least a place to go as a Catholic uh, to then seek out other people that look like you, you know, go to daily mass. Are there other young adults there? Are there other people your age there? Um, are there other, you know, married couples there, whatever your, you know, age or station of life, your vocation is? Go seek them out and introduce yourself and say, hey, I haven't seen you here before. My name's so-and-so. And, you know, um, how long have you been here? would love to connect with you. Have a play date with our kids or grab coffee and talk about, you know, college life or how to keep the faith as a teenager. Whatever your uh, phase or stage or vocation in life is right now, to find other people who are in that same position by seeking them out in the places that you think your ideal community would find themselves. And if you pray for it, really intentionally pray for it each and every day, I guarantee you, you will find it. And very, very likely it's already there in front of you. You're just, you're trying to create something else or you're hoping for something else and you're not willing to work with what God is putting in front of you. And so give God the benefit of the doubt and know that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knew you'd be listening to this. He knew you'd be thinking of the exact people or circumstances you're thinking of and just be encouraging you to give it a chance.
even though it might be messy, even though it might be difficult, or even if you're in the midst of a community right now that you think maybe has taken a turn or things aren't as spiritually mature or as saintly as they should be, or there's been some hurt or some, some damage to the community, all of that is repairable. You know, just to be able to come with humility and say, here's what I'm responsible for. I'm sorry for bringing the, the group down in this way, or I'm sorry for the ways that I need to ask for forgiveness from all of you for, for damaging kind of the, the unity of this group or whatever it is, and, and start again from square one. And if you have a real authentic community of people who really authentically love each other in virtuous friendship, then they're going to build you up and they're going to welcome that. And if it gets divisive and bitter and resentful, then maybe that's not the ideal community for you in the first place. But I hope that those passages from the Catechism, from Scripture, are of benefit to you. I hope those tips help get the wheels turning and help you really think about the community that you have, how it can be better, how it can be more oriented toward the Lord, focused on things of a spiritual nature, and also a community that God is seeking to give you. Um, you know, it's, it's harder to make friends when we get older, and you can't make old friends. And so our old friends are very precious to us, but a lot of times we grow in faith uh, at rates or in ways that our older friends don't. And so it's important to witness to our faith and to try and stay committed to our values, communicate those values to them, and also to maybe even invite your friends to help you be accountable to your own values without the expectation that they're going to be um, abiding by them as well. Let's say if you want to stop cursing, inviting your friends from your you know, whatever group or your family to call you out when you do, even if they're not faithful people. Uh, because I guarantee you, you know, friends love calling each other out on that stuff and, you know, exacting those little fun punishments on each other or whatever it might be. So uh, you can't make old friends, but the, the older we get, it's harder to make new ones and to establish that community and that history and that kind of those fun, like, you know, there's no equivalent to those old childhood moments and inside jokes and old stories and crazy things that happened. But uh, if you put in the effort and you recognize the need you have for community, then I hope that you will put in that time and that effort to find it because so many people have midlife crises because uh, they feel, I think, a sense of being alone and not feeling fulfilled, not feeling like they know what their purpose is. And I think so much of that can be hashed out in really good, authentic conversations with good people in good community. So I hope you find that community, that koinonia. I hope it deepens. If you have found it, I hope it continues to be blessed. And I hope you continue to bring your best possible self to it. Pray for me as I continue to pray for you, pray for community, and until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.